so good to be back. See your smiling faces. It's, um, I shared this morning, uh, quarantine was not too bad when you're quarantined with someone that you enjoy spending time with. So not too bad at all. It's just uh, a little different Sunday morning and it feels great to get back in the pulpit and see faces and all of that. So just uh, wonderful, wonderful to get back. Um, before I go into the message this morning, I just want to plant a seed in your hearts. Uh, as I've been listening to different things coming out of different areas, even of Christianity from uh, Franklin Graham uh, to uh, Jonathan Kahn to uh, different well-known people, there seems to be on our nation at least, and the world, I think, uh, a call to prayer. Uh, I think people are beginning to recognize that it, this goes beyond coronavirus and a, an election and different things that we've got going on. We're, we're, we're in trouble, <laughs> uh, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. And, and I say that to say that, yes, God is on the throne. Uh, yes, he's working all things according to his plan. I've read the back of the book. We win. <sighs> okay. But um, the, the attitude of scripture is that God is not slow in keeping his promise, that he's going to bring it all to a culmination. Jesus is going to be revealed to the whole world as Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, that's all gonna happen. Why isn't God doing that? The Bible says because he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. All should come to a place of being able to turn to him in an attitude of love and receive his mercy and grace. And one of the ways that God does that, and we've seen throughout history, is revival or awakenings. And there seems to be a strong call, especially in our nation, to prayer for revival, for an awakening. And the interesting thing about it is it's not that we determine, uh, that, that's why I'm never going to put a sign out front that says revival meeting, because only God can make revival happen. Um, but God seems to stir people to prayer and when he stirs people to prayer, then he answers that prayer. And it's just his mercy. You know, people are turning away from God. They want, they want, you know, what they want and everything else. And, but in his mercy, he calls people to prayer. He answers that prayer. He pours out his spirit sovereignly. And I don't know if you're familiar with the history of even the Rochester area, but when Finney came through, uh, I mean, bars were closed everywhere. There wasn't enough business. Uh, the jails were emptied. Um, churches were packed. I mean, things were happening because God was sovereignly pouring out his spirit. And this is what I'm feeling stirred in my heart, which I want to, again, plant that seed with you all um, and, and just let that, we'll, we'll talk more about it uh, in the upcoming days and weeks ahead, but I just 
just want to leave that with you. I think God's up to something, and I think we're ripe for it. I think we have a culture that sees the chaos, that sees how everything is, is just politicized for power and, and money and all this kind of thing. And where do we really go to get peace? Where do we really go where things make sense? And I believe there's a call back to the Lord that's, uh, that's coming upon us. So just let that sit and stir and begin to pray about it, and we'll, we'll talk more about it as we go. But for the time being, and for those of you on Zoom, good morning. Welcome. Good to have you with us this morning. For the time being, let's turn to John chapter 5 in your paper Bible or electronic device, however you prefer. John chapter 5 this morning. I'm going to talk about an experience of one man that I believe can apply so many different ways to us this morning. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, also in Maryland, just kidding, which has five roofed colonnades. Um, I guess we call them pavilions, maybe, today. Uh, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Can you imagine that? When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? I'm going to entitle the message this morning, Do you want to be healed? What a question, right? What a question. The guy's been there 38 years as an invalid. And this is Jesus. What, what, what's he thinking, right? I heard a minister talk about this one night about 30 years ago, and I never forgot it. There's a special speaker that we had come in, and he said same thing. He said, I never understood this verse. Why would Jesus ask somebody who's been an invalid for 38 years, do you want to be healed? Of course he wants to be healed, right? Until this minister said uh, he had been in a church and he opened up the altar for prayer. He was praying for the sick that particular night. And people came up for prayer, various things. And one guy came up uh, with a couple of friends and the man was deaf. And he could, as, as he watched the man approach, he, he kind of got the sense that it was the friends that were urging him to come up, but that he himself was kind of hesitant. So he felt led in his spirit to ask this man, through an interpreter or what, I, I, I don't remember, but he, to ask him this same question. Do you want to be healed? And he said the man's answer floored him. Because the man thought for a moment, and he said, well, after all these years, I don't know what I would do as a hearing person. He said, I think I'm okay with things the way they are. Wow. And he said all of a sudden God reminded him of this verse, and he finally understood it. 
There are people that don't want to be healed because there's change, isn't there? And we all love change, don't we? Right? There's, there's change. There, there's a fear of the unknown. Uh, Maybe may um, an added responsibility to life that, we, that they're not sure that, that they want to attend to. Maybe there's, there's a comfort level um, as they've uh, been under a disability for so long. They found comfort. They found sympathy. They found empathy. And, and, and they built their life around it, right? So they don't want to give that all up. I, I'm not sure what would happen, how I would function. So uh, I, I don't really want to change things. How many of you ever heard the name Nick Vujicic? Probably not many. Picture of him this morning. He's an evangelist. He's a motivational speaker, an author, a musician, an actor. He likes to fish, to swim. He, he even will surf. He paints, right? What a guy. Did I happen to mention that he was born without arms or legs? Hmm. According to his website, lifewithoutlimbs.org, and I'll quote, the early days were difficult. Throughout his childhood, Nick not only dealt with the typical challenges of school and adolescence, but he also struggled with depression and loneliness. Nick constantly wondered why he was different than all the other kids. He questioned the purpose of life or even if he had a purpose. According to Nick, the victory over his struggles, as well as his strength and passion for life today, can be credited to his faith in God. His family, friends, and the many people he's encountered along the journey have also inspired him to carry on. Nick Vujicic, right? He could easily have thrown in the towel. He could easily have let his disability define his life. He could have lived under the shadow of his disability. He could have uh, lived under the very reasonable limitations of his disabilities, right? But he found that God had another plan. And that plan would include not only blessings for Nick in his life, but his ability to be an inspiration to thousands and thousands of people, people with disabilities like his, amputees, people with all kinds of limitations, and beyond that, sharing the gospel everywhere he goes. Thousands of people may be in heaven because Nick Vujicic decided to go beyond. This successful, married father of four did not allow his limitations to bind him, but he partnered with a limitless God. He did not 
grab a hold of his limitations. Instead, he partnered with a limitless God. Going back to the text, Jesus asks the man, do you want to be well? The sick man answers him in verse 7. He says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So apparently, first off, there was a belief back then that this particular pool where they were, that an angel went in every so often and stirred the water. And if you got down there first, you were healed. Now, scholars believe that this was an addition to the text. Uh, you won't find it in the more modern translations built on the older manuscripts. You might find it in an old King James. Um, but this was not that the scripture was saying that this happens. Because when you think about it, that is so out of character for God, right? I'm going to send an angel every so often, and you poor, sick, lame people, all right, I'm going to put you in competition with one another to jump in and get the healing, right? That's not God. And that's not the same God we serve. That's pretty cruel when you think about it, right? So it's, a, it's an addition, um, some commentary uh, that basically talked about the, the belief that there was in that day. So people believed that. They gave, it gave them some kind of hope. Is that a ripple in the water? You know, kind of thing. And uh, so there you go. But here, here, better than a myth, better than a story, Jesus actually heals the man. But uh-oh, it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Oh, no. And remember, we've talked about the Pharisees before because the Pharisees had rules for their rules, right? And here was this man um, that was a 38-year-long invalid. The fact that he was now able to carry his bed, they missed it. They missed it because carrying your bed on the Sabbath was against the law. So they didn't see the proverbial forest through the trees. They didn't see, look it, he's healed. Look it, he's been lame 38 years. God has made him well. Hallelujah, what a great miracle. God, you visited us. Awesome, glory to God, praise the Lord. It's like, you're carrying your bed. You can't do that on the Sabbath. You're sinning, right? They had an encounter with the living God, and they missed it. He missed it because they were stuck in their own way of seeing things. So could we say they didn't want to be healed, right? This revelation of God's visitation and where did it come from? And, oh, it came from the Christ. And, you know, all of this could have been theirs. But they didn't want it. They didn't want to be healed they wanted what they had. Because you see, in just the same way that some people don't really want to be healed physically, others don't want to be healed 
spiritually. Think about it for a minute. The people that we know that we rub shoulders with. The thought of giving one's life away to Jesus Christ is kind of a scary proposition. I was there. I, I, I felt those feelings, right? That he's somehow going to take away my autonomy. That he's going to make me do things that I don't want to do. I remember talking to my brother before he came to Christ years ago. And I just don't like violin music. You know, I don't, I don't like the church thing. I don't like church music. I don't like the things that churchy people do. And, and, and I got to give up all, all of my stuff and take on this? No, thank you, right? He's going to take away my autonomy. Or he's going to take away a lifestyle that I'm comfortable in. Maybe there's things that, that people know that Christians just don't do, right? They're saying, I enjoy that. I, I, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to stop living my life. Maybe there's aspects of life, socially or economically, that they don't want to submit to the Lordship of Christ. I'm running that. You know, I don't want you to come in and Holy Spirit tell me what, what I should be doing, shouldn't be doing, right? But those of us who have walked with the Lord for a while would just want to take those people and just shake them and go, you don't understand. The, the, the relationship with God and, and being loose from your sins and, and, and having him in your life and that relationship, you know, that Ken talked about this morning, being able to hear from the Lord and the peace that you have and... And, and the fact that the wisdom that he gives you and the direction in your life and how those things just work out for you um, better than before and there's no guilt the next morning and all this kind of stuff, it's just so much better. You don't get it, right? <sighs> I don't know if I want to do that. Verse 10, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed, verse 10. 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now Jesus who had been, or the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. So apparently here, unlike other times where Jesus then would hang around and heal everybody that came, the Father apparently said, that guy, and then make your exit. Why? I don't know. For reasons only God knows. But that day, it was him. That's who God sent him to, the Father sent him to, and that's the guy that was healed. And then Jesus, you know, the crowd around the guy, and Jesus kind of just made his exit. But look what happens when Jesus sees the man later that day. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Wow. Pretty strong words, right? I mean, especially someone that, that Jesus just blessed so much and so freely and changed his life. Look what he says to him. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. What's he saying to this guy? I think in order to understand it, we kind of have to back into it. Um, what is worse than being an invalid for 38 years? What's worse? 
Jesus himself answers that question in Matthew 18.8. He says, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life, that is eternal life, crippled or lame, than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Worse than being lame for 38 years is to miss out on eternity in the presence of the Lord, right? So what's he saying to this guy? He's saying it would be horrible if after receiving this grand miracle that your body would be changed, but your heart wouldn't. What, what, what good would it be? to be miraculously healed and then fall short of heaven. Right? That like the Pharisees, he would encounter truth. He would encounter the Messiah. He would encounter the way, the truth, and the life and miss it. Being satisfied with just the physical. That his body would be affected, but not his heart. So what is this saying to us this morning? Well, chances are that we've all heard the gospel at one point or another in this church or elsewhere. Chances are we've heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he... Uh, paid that penalty so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be free of those sins, so that we could be reconciled back to God, come into that relationship with him, to have our, our eternity set, not based on what we do, but based upon what the Lord did for us. It would be a shame to have encountered that truth but never have received it truly in our hearts. And I, and I say this, uh, my time back in Ohio, I can't tell you how many times I met with people that had been in church for years and years. And, and, and in visiting, I would come up with the question and I would say, you know, tell me how you met the Lord. And when they hemmed and hawed about it a bit, um, I would say, well, let, let me ask you this. So let's say there was some accident today and you died. How, how do you know that you would get into heaven? And invariably the answer would be, I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done right. I've tried to be a good person. Which tells me that their hope of heaven rests on their ability to do good and not on what Jesus did on the cross. Hearing that message of the cross over and over and over again, it still hadn't made its way into their heart. They were still going on hope so. It wasn't secure in Christ. So I, I just don't take that for granted anymore. I, I don't say, you know, so-and-so has been in church, been a Sunday school teacher, been this, been that. doesn't really matter. When it gets down to it, we know and God knows if we have taken that truth of the gospel and genuinely, honestly, 
opened our heart as a sinner and said, Lord, here I am. I need you in my heart. I need your salvation. So if that's you this morning, and you have not, Bible says that the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts that we are the children of God. If you don't know that you know that you know that you know, let me encourage you. Don't throw it away for a hope so. Don't throw it away for the things of this world. Don't encounter that message of truth and not open your heart wide and receive him as Lord and Savior. Maybe, just maybe, we're here this morning and we've opened that door. We've opened the front door and we've let him in, so to speak. But there's a couple of closets that we say, well, Lord, that's, that's mine. That's mine. That, that door, don't, no, you, fine in the living room, you know, where it's all decorated, but that closet, I, I really don't want you to go in there. Right? Something that we don't want to let go of. Something that we don't really want to be or have not wanted to be healed of. Because that's mine. Right? And again, let, 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 me, let, let me pose this question as God posed it to me at one point in time in prayer. Um, what need is that fulfilling in your life? What, what, what need is that answering? What is that providing for you? And I will guarantee that God can do a better, can and will do a better job of meeting that need if we will but open that closet door and let him in and say, here it is, God. The whole thing of it. Come on in. He already knows anyway, right? We're not hiding anything from God, right? But what does that do? Ken talked about this morning, it, it, it hardens us to hear the voice of the Spirit. It limits us to go forward into all God has for us. So we need to, we need to open every door before him and say, Jesus, come on in. You already know it's there. Come on in. Do what you need to do. Maybe we've had a physical disability and we have allowed it to define our lives. I'm, I'm so blessed, my wife, you know, you, you know her voice is different, it's soft-spoken. It takes her uh, four times as much air to push through to get volume than it does you or me. When she speaks for long times, long periods of time, it's exhausting for her. And yet, I have been so blessed sitting at, at women's conferences, usually running sound or doing something, um, when she has been the keynote speaker because she's a phenomenal Bible teacher. And so she has, instead of embracing that disability and saying, I guess I'll never be able to speak, She's opened her heart to say, God, what do you want? And he has used her to bless lots and lots and lots of people, including her husband. Nick, uh, 
We've talked about him. He could have let that disability define his existence. But he is proof. He is proof that God can and will move us beyond our personal limitations. Because there are no limitations in God. There are no limitations in our God. There's nothing that he can't do. Even if he doesn't choose, like Nick, to heal physically, he can still move into incredible, incredible blessing. Maybe there have been traumatic experiences in our past that have overshadowed our lives that have caused us to think that we're nobodies, that we can't ever rise above, that we'll always be mediocre or beyond, that God can't use us to do this and that or the other thing because we've been so wounded or, or so put down. Maybe there's something in our lives that we've just come to accept. You've heard people say things like, that's just my Irish temper, right? It's just the way it's always been. It's my heritage, the way it'll always be. And we've just come to accept that we can't grow beyond that thing and be healed and let that area of our lives be a testimony of God's incredible power and glory and goodness that everybody around that's known us from this high can see because that's just the way it always is, and we've accepted that limitation upon ourselves. Again, let's take a page out of Nick's book. There's nothing God can't do. There's nothing God can't do. Can I remind you this morning that God says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. All things are become new. There is nothing that was a part of our past that has to limit us when we partner with a limitless God. And can I tell you that that past can be yesterday? That past can be this morning? Wednesday, that past can be Tuesday, right? When we blow it, when we make a wrong turn, and that's okay, forget it, I'm washed up, I can, no, 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 no. All things become new. As Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. Limitless, because of a limitless God. Whatever those things are, whatever God has been speaking to areas of our hearts this morning, let's just grab a hold of that kind of illustratively in our hands and just lift it before him as we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we lift these things up to you. Our weaknesses, our faults, our failures, our past, 
our human inabilities, Lord, we lift them before you. And we say with Nick this morning, we want to partner with a limitless God. We want to look to you in faith, not to look to ourselves. And to see, Lord, that there's nothing that you can't do that is your will for us. Despite any and all lack on our part. God, when we look through the Bible and we see uh, Abraham who came from a, a, a culture of moon worshipers, Moses, a stutterer and a murderer, Gideon, the least of his clan, his clan the least in Israel, Samson, boy, did he have problems. God, you can use anybody and do anything you want. So, Lord, this morning, we open all the closet doors, every hidden area of our lives, and we invite you to come in. Make us a testimony of your grace this morning. Hear God's word to you. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. We've all heard that phrase, you've made your bed, now lie in it. He's, the bed represents our mistakes, our wounds, our limitations. And the Lord is saying this morning, rise. Take up that bed. Don't let it define you. You take it up. On his word, take it up. Take control of it. Submit it to him. And walk into a new future. His future for you. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to close with a song this morning. Let, let the words just grab a hold of your heart as we sing this to the Lord this morning.
be magnified in us. Be magnified in our weakness. Be magnified in our limits as you move us beyond into your limitless. And while we're bowed this morning, if it's you, God spoke to your heart this morning and he said, you never really opened that door, did you? Don't be condemned this morning. Jesus said, I stand at that door and I knock. If anyone would open that door, open it, I will come in. Dine with them and they with me. It's a picture of fellowship, of friendship, of closeness. That's his desire this morning. That you and he would share the wonders of that new relationship. If that's you, let me urge you to pray. Say, Jesus, it's time. I open that door. Come on in. I come as a sinner. I come not able to pay for my own sins. I'll never be good enough. But thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for taking my punishment, my sentence, that I might go free in your grace and in your love. Come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior, I pray. In your awesome name. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We've been talking in our Tuesday morning Bible study of just how important it is to be continually reminded of our relationship with him of who we are in Christ, his promises for us, his limitless for us, right? We just constantly have to, because the, the world will tell you, if you're not like so-and-so, or you've been had this, or you've had that, or you look like this, or you any of that, you're not. Jesus said, yes, you are, because you're mine. Amen? So let's continually remind each other of that. As we walk through this life, there's nothing he can't do through you and I. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you.